It's good to see everyone back out this evening, and uh, for those of you that missed out this morning, uh, that you are here this evening, we're thankful for your presence, and hope that you all have had a wonderful day all day today. Uh, This morning started out a series of lessons dealing with uh, our spiritual wellness, and we talked about uh, the idea of how well do we hear Tonight, I'm going to start a series of lessons, and it's going to be dealing with uh, essentially Obadiah through Malachi. So we're going to be talking about the minor prophets, and the time of the minor prophets is important because, you know, a lot of people kind of, they gauge their lives off of uh, things that are modern. You know, we're in the 21st century, and so... That old, all of that old timey stuff, it doesn't really apply to us. And so, uh, as I've been studying uh, over the past several months, I said, well, this would be a good sermon series to, to be able to put together to look over. And so, as of right now, don't gasp when you hear this number. There's 26 lessons, <laughs> but uh, those are probably going to get compressed down uh, as I continue on through. Uh, the sermon series. So uh, the question is, is that is there any value to study something like Obadiah through Malachi, to study the minor prophets, if you will? And I, I believe absolutely. Uh, Paul says in Romans 15 verse 4, he says, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning. And so there's always something that we can take from it. He says that though uh, that we through the patience and comforts of the scriptures might have hope. And so again, people might not find that a lot of these lessons are suited for our time, but I think that's kind of missing the mark and it's missing the idea. Ultimately, things really aren't that different. Yes, we have new ways of communicating with one another. You know, we have these lovely little doodads, cell phones. And I remember when these first came out. I remember seeing the first brick (laughs) that everybody had. I remember when they first kind of started getting installed in vehicles and whatnot. And that was just kind of, it just always threw me for a loop. I remember my grandfather, he had one of those... uh, I don't remember the model. I just remember it was a big old long car. It was a Lincoln, but I don't think it was a town car. It was a different one. But he had one of those phones in the like armrest in the middle console. And I was just like, how do you do that? You know, as a kid, I didn't know how they did all that. And now we've got them walking around in our pockets. We, I mean, we have many computers on us. We call people. We text people. We send emails. I mean, there's just all sorts of different ways to communicate. There's different ways of travel. Back then, they traveled on donkeys and camels and all that. And now, I mean, I'm in an SUV. <laughs> so, you know, the different ways of travel, uh, the the way that science has progressed, you know, for like things for our medicine and everything. So there's a lot of changes, but ultimately what we need to understand is that the basic issues of life, the principles of life, those have not changed. Our modes of travel and communication, all that has changed drastically, but that does not change the principles and the overall idea of uh, having a sense of morality. 
right and wrong is right and wrong regardless of how we travel, regardless of how we communicate with one another. Uh, you know, people back then in, in their day and age, they trusted in their wealth. They trusted in uh, luxury. And because of that, they forgot about God. Um, society back then was plagued with violence, with dishonesty, with immorality. What, how would we describe our society? Violence, dishonesty, immorality. So as you can see, the basic issues of life have not changed. Oppression and injustice is still rampant today as it was back in their day and age. Men back then, they would prefer you to scratch their itching ears than to tell them what they wanted to hear. We see that rampant today, as we talked about hearing this morning. Uh, people would prefer you to look at just kind of the outer self, the outer shell of the man. Don't focus on the inner where we have to do most of our changing as far as the way we look at life, our overall disposition. The outside stuff is easy. You know, changing the way we dress, the way we present ourselves, that's the super easy part. But changing the way we think, that's when we really get down into the nitty-gritty. And so, again, that's what we're going to be looking at throughout. You know, again, as of right now, there's 26 lessons, but there's, it's probably going to be cut down, I would say, conservatively, probably 16 lessons. I'll probably end up combining a few. So look forward to that on Sunday evening. Sunday morning, we're going to be talking about our spiritual wellness. Sunday evenings, we're going to be studying through the minor prophets. And this is just kind of the introductory lesson. So what is a prophet? Now, obviously, we need to look at it from the biblical point of view. But I did want to give you an idea of how some people describe prophets uh, some of you may be privy to this name, uh, Homer Haley. He was a faithful gospel preacher for a long time. I think he had some uh, in and outs with Florida College. I think he uh, was an instructor out there for a little bit. But here was a description that I found in a book from Homer Haley. He said, in character, these men were God-fearing men. Knowing not the fear of men, but only of Jehovah. They condemned sin in the high and the low alike. Wherever sin existed, it was to be condemned. They sought to bring men to repentance on the ground of Israel and Judah's relation to God and of God's greatness, pointing always to a grand and a glorious future kingdom in which an ideal king should reign. He further Later on in his book, he describes them as men of the hour. And so when we think about men of the hour, we think of these men as being who God needed for their own time. This is who God utilized to help the people of their time. They became men of the hour because uh, not only did they... Uh, stand for God, but they preach the principles. You know, standing for God is one thing, but to go out and to become vulnerable to your intended audience, to be able to stand in front of them and tell them things that they probably don't want to hear. 
Again, think about it. They called sin what it was. They didn't come up with cute little cutesy names to kind of change to make it where we don't hurt people's feelings. They called it what it was. They preached against sin. They preached on holiness. They preached on repentance. They preached on judgment to come. And guess what? A lot of them, because of the way they preached, we can look back at a lot of the spokesmen for God, they died because of it. So what is a prophet? Ultimately, I think the best way to describe it is a prophet is someone who speaks... For God. And when I say for, I'm not throwing out presumptuous speak. No, because we actually, we're going to read about that. Those who speak, who presume to speak for God. To say things that God never intended uh, for you to say. But essentially a prophet is someone who they receive a message from God and then they speak it. And it's unadulterated. It's not changed at all. They say exactly what they need to say. They give out the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So let's take our Old Testaments. Let's go back to Exodus real quick. Exodus chapter 7. We'll kind of flip through for a little bit, different context. Exodus chapter 7. And look at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. So the idea is that he's a spokesman for God. He's God's mouth. And it's not that God's incapable of doing the work. But the reality is he laid out responsibility for man to fulfill in God's overall plan. And the overall plan ultimately is what? The scheme of man's redemption. Bringing people, bringing man back to God. To reconcile man back to God because of their sin, because of their wickedness. That is the idea. Now, let's go over to Deuteronomy chapter 18. This is where, this is what uh, the context I was talking about in reference to the presumptive speech. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Okay, so this is a pretty long context. We're going to start at verse 9, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. There There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, one, or one who interprets omens or sorcerer, or one who casts a spell or medium or spiritist, or one who calls up from the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. 
You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For, the, for those nations which you shall dispossess, listen to those who practice witchcraft and, and to the diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. The Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. See, yet again, we're having a basic definition of what a prophet is. He is a spokesman for God. God's giving him the word, and what does he do? He says exactly what God says. No more, no less. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. So here's the thing. God could have given these men a word, and then all of a sudden they just start deviating. Yeah, well, I, I know you said this, God, but you know, I think I like it a little better over here. That's what they do with God's word today. We have direct instructions, direct revelation right here in our very hands. The, the perfect work of the Holy Spirit. And man looks at it and says, yeah, well, I, I just don't believe it. Or I'm just not going to follow it. I'm just not going to do it. I would say that goes beyond presumption, right? Then it says, you may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has spoken or has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is a thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So ultimately, God made it possible for Israel, for the inhabitants of Israel and even of Judah, to recognize whether or not they had a prophet among them. If the things that they say come to pass, then guess what? Then it's true. But if it does not come to pass, guess what? You have, a, you have someone who's a false teacher. You have a false prophet among you. Remember over in Acts chapter 11, I'm not turning there, but remember when Agabus comes about and he prophesied, he tells them, hey, there's a great famine coming, and this was under the rule of Claudius Caesar. Okay, So that great famine, what happened? It came. It actually happened. And they were warned about it. So what did the Christians do there? They gathered together. They took action. They sent relief to the elders of Jerusalem, of Judea. So those things came about. You also have, uh, there's the word seer that's used in the Old Testament that describes God's prophets. They could see what others could not see. And so there's multiple ways to define a prophet, but ultimately a prophet is someone who speaks the word of God. They speak God's word. They speak the oracles of God. They give out the truth of God. 
so that the people can benefit. And they preached on a slew of things, by the way. Because the next question that we need to consider is, what did they preach on? What did they talk about? Okay, well first, they preached a relevant message. They preached a message that that was going to be relevant to the people. They didn't have CNN. They didn't have MSNBC. They didn't have Fox News. They didn't have Facebook or... I don't even think it's called Twitter now. I think it's called X. They They didn't have any of that. They didn't have social media. They didn't have headline news. What they would do is they would preach God's response to a national crisis. Of it had to do with their sin. They would preach, thus saith the Lord. God spoke it to them. Guess what? They turned around after God spoke it to them. They turned around and said, people, this is what God's saying. God's telling you if you don't repent and turn back to him, because that's also something they preached on was repentance. If you don't leave your idolatry, if you don't leave your wickedness, and you don't change, God's going to do something about it. So they preached, thus saith the Lord. And, and so you have to think of, you have Nahum, you have uh, the, the idea of Jonah and Nineveh, which we talked about this morning. You have Joel, you have Zephaniah. And what did they do? They would talk about the day of wrath. they talk about the days of distress. They would talk about nothing but trouble. They didn't really bring about great news. That's one reason why I don't watch the news. They don't deliver anything that's useful. They don't deliver anything that's good news. It's all a bunch of hoopla. And of course, everything's just controlled by the centralized media, so we're not going to go there tonight. But here's the thing. The prophets of God, they were men of good character. It took conviction. It took character. It took courage to speak what God was expecting them to say. Because here's the thing. Have you ever been the person who's had to go into the room and give someone some bad news? I used to do that. That used to be, well, I mean, I would say that's kind of my job still. I give, out, I give people bad news. Look, if you don't change it, you don't repent, you're not going to experience the blessings of God. That's bad news to people. But actually what I preach is the good news, is that you can give up your sin. God makes a way for us to live our lives faithfully to Him and we're no longer being just bombarded with law after law and rule after rule. We don't have that in our lives anymore. We actually have the good news. The sacrifice has already been made. I mean, we have it simple. We have it easy. But in my previous past jobs, I'd have to go give people bad news. I used to have to do death notifications for people. People who's died in car wrecks or burned up in houses. That's not pleasant. And it takes us almost, I don't want to say a stone-faced killer, but that's what I want to say. (laughs) It takes someone who can just put on that face for five minutes to explain to them that they have lost a loved one, you're never going to see them again. That takes conviction. It takes courage. And it's difficult. It's not easy. But that's simple compared to, we're talking about the words of life. 
We're talking about eternity. And some people still don't get it because they don't have the conviction. They don't have the courage to stand up and to say what is right. To give people the actual words of life. To give people Jesus. People say, I don't want to hear all that doctrine stuff. Just tell me about Jesus. Okay, well let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what I command. That's what Jesus said. When Philip preached to the Ethiopian eunuch there in Acts chapter 8 and around verse 35... He says, do you understand what you're reading? When the Ethiopian eunuch was reading out of Isaiah 53. He says, how can I unless someone teaches me? So he began at that scripture and he preached Jesus to him. It's as simple as that. Doctrine and Jesus are synonymous. They go together hand in hand. They're not bipolar opposites like the denominational world would have you to believe. And so the prophets of God, what did they do? They spoke the message that God wanted to at the time that He wanted them to preach it or speak it. And they were all kinds of different men. And you know, you all have experienced that. I know this. So... I mean, you guys have had men like Harold Thornhill. You've had men like Wayne Greason. You've had men like Jason Langford and Tanner Campbell. And then you have me. I'm like really the odd duck out there, right? <laughs> Just totally different style of a speaker. Wayne Greason was, an, uh, was a, a lawyer. So I know I'm not in the realm of him. <laughs> And I've no, I knew Wayne Greason from, from when I was little itty bitty, younger than Lizzie, because he used to he came from Pine Bluff. He actually came to you guys from where I was. So it's just kind of funny how all that worked out. But the prophets were different men with different style of speaking. And you think about think about Amos. He was like the hillbilly. He was me. And then you have Hosea. Two totally different men. And sometimes we, we get in our, that, that groove of complacency and we accept one at the exclusion of others because one sounds maybe a little more sophisticated or maybe some sound too sophisticated. I mean, that, that can also very well be true where someone's just, everything they say just goes right over your head and there, there's no relation. There's nothing relatable about their message because they're just making it hard, making it difficult. But the messages that the prophets of God gave the people were all messages that they could understand. God does not expect us to be rocket scientists. He does not expect us to go out and work for NASA and to get ourselves on the moon or to get us to, to Mars as they're trying to do for some odd, strange reason. God wants us to go to heaven. That's what God wants. He wants a relationship with His creation. And so, what's one of the messages of the prophets? You think about Jonah. Look at Jonah chapter 3, verse 6 through 10. 
Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Why? Because the message that they just received is if you don't repent and you don't change, you are going to be destroyed. Cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from, the, from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works that they had turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. Do we or do we not still preach that same exact message today? To say that that message is not relevant today is to just be oblivious to the reality. That somehow in some way things are worse off now than they were then? Or that they're not as bad now as it was then? Are you kidding me? Turn from your wickedness and cry mightily to God. So that none of these things will come upon you. Is that not the same message that, that Peter gave Simon? Remember Simon the sorcerer? You ever thought about that for a moment? We still reference him as Simon the sorcerer, and yet he became Simon the Christian. You ever thought about that? But he made a mistake. He made a grave mistake. He, he said, here, here's money. Give me this power also so that I can lay my hands on people and give them this gift as well. And Peter said, may your silver perish with you. And what was his response? Pray for me that this does not come about. Peter did the same thing in the first century as Jonah did to Nineveh. Still preaching the same message. We are preaching the message for people to repent and to break sin out of, lot, out of their lives. Not this half and half. Not half repentance but complete repentance. Over in Joel chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, it says, Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting, with weeping and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God. That's the same message that's been preached for thousands and thousands of years. They preached distinctive morality. They called sin what it was. That's the reality. Over in Hosea chapter 4 verse 11, he said, Whoredom and wine and new wine take away thy heart. Or if you were to say that today, people would just be open. I can't believe you said that. Do you want a preacher in the pulpit who's placating and sugarcoating the truth? Or do you want to be someone who's being seasoned with salt? 
But what happens if the salt loses its flavor? It's no good. Not even to be trampled underfoot. But that's what people have today. Don't call sin what it really is. Let's change the name of it. Let's not call it murder. Let's call it manslaughter. Even our own government's done it. And you probably didn't even recognize it. They do it to take away the harshness of the reality of what has transpired. And the thing is, is that there are murderers who are not convicted as murderers because we have a justice system that does not preach and bring about justice. They plead it down. Let's not, let's not fill up the court docket and all this stuff. Let's not make this any harder for the families. Ah, corporal punishment, capital punishment, the death penalty. We shouldn't be doing that. No longer do you hear people talking about others committing adultery or fornication. Let's not use words like that because words like that hurts. Really? Do you promise? Don't call you who you really are. Sure, you're going to find people that's going to be sugarcoating everything. But a sugarcoat message of the gospel is not heaven bound. It will not get you heaven bound. Because God's not asking for sugar. He wants us to provide salt. So that there's true flavor. He wants us to preach the truth. Think about what Micah and Malachi preached. They preached against the evils of hip, you know, priests being hypocrites, right? Uh, false prophets. And he, they essentially said, no one's exempt from this reality. Oh, we shouldn't call people false teachers. That's... That, that's crossing the line. And, and we shouldn't call people heretics. Why not? In Titus 3, it, Paul calls them heretics. He says after first and second warning, you move on from them because they're what? They are heretics. Ah, but we're, we're not supposed to do that today. What was it that Paul said to those at Galatia? He said, if anyone brings to you any other gospel than that which we have already preached, let him be accursed. Oh, let's not tell people that, that they're going to be accursed for, for preaching a different gospel. Don't do that. That's mean. That's rude. That's not tactful. That's not respectful. How much respect will you get in hell? Will you care about respect then? What about the rich man? Was he asking and was he begging for respect when he saw Lazarus in comfort? Did he say, I deserve respect? I deserve honor? No. What did he do? He begged for relief from this agony, from this pain. He was separated from God. And he was in complete physical pain and agony. And he was struggling. 
Additionally, not only did the prophets preach against sin and they called it what it was, they preached for people to remember God. Uh, Jeremiah 2 verse 32, Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. How does someone forget God? Because everything else is important to them. I don't think that it was necessarily that Israel and even Judah literally forgot about God completely and in totality as far as that there was no conscience remembering of God, but that there was no daily reminder that God was in their lives. They didn't live their lives as if God was in it. That's how they forgot about God. Think about the good people of today. And when I say good, I mean good, quote-unquote good. This is part of that sugarcoating it. That I, I really don't, I just cannot respect this kind of preaching. Well, you know, Joe was a good man. Went to work every day. Paid his bills. Never cheated on his wife. But he left God completely out of his life. How is Joe a good man? Joe never took the time to worship God. He never showed any interest in spiritual things. No, Joe wasn't a wicked man as how we would define wickedness in our own definition. But Joe was an ungodly man. And Joe was lost. And there's no comfort in that. And it does no good to sugarcoat any of that. People need to see the harshness and the reality of the life that they choose to live. If you choose to live your life without God in your daily life, you are choosing an ungodly life because God is not in your life. And if God is not in your life, there is no way we can be saved from our sins. They preach the sure judgment of sinner. Amos speaks about God's judgment to come in Amos chapter 3 verse 2. He says, you only have I known, <clears throat> you only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. It's not a question of, oh, well, if God does it. No, He will. Will God hold us accountable for our actions? Let's go to the New Testament real quick. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians 5 verse 10. Look at what Paul says. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to, whether, according to what he has done, whether good or what? Bad. Is that not the same message that Amos preached? They preached about the undying love of God that the people should have in their lives. And they preached hope for their future. They didn't preach just doom and gloom and that there was, no, there was no way out. Do you know what the prophets 
of their time preached, the men of the hour, they preached the gospel. And that's what we need to be preaching in our lives. The prophets of old speak to us today just as I do getting in the pulpit or whoever's next along the way. We preach the same message. We present God's solution to our culture and time. Time and culture changes so long as we are still yet here. There's no doubt about it. But the principles of life, the the reality of sin enslaving us, that's all still very much true. We need to live by the principles of the prophets even in our world today. Because we are God's people, just as they were God's people. And I'm just going to put it to you this way. And, I, and I've actually been saying this to some of my, I would say colleagues, but just preacher friends. Talking, you know, when I talk to preacher friends about uh, the different articles that I try or attempt to write. A couple weeks ago, I put in an article by Brother J.D. Tant. He was back in the late 1800s. And several of you actually approached me about that and had mentioned, have you read his book? There's a book about him. And I said, no, I haven't. I need to get it. It's a really good book. And Oh, I believe it. Because those people were interesting back then. You know what I recognize about those people back in the 18 and 1900s? They were a lot smarter than we are today. A whole lot smarter. So think about how much smarter these people were. They experienced the presence of Holy God. Just as we can experience the presence of Holy God. If we live godly lives. The prophets of old spoke of the inaugural coming of Christ. Because he was the hope. And you know what? Christ came. And we are experiencing the eternal blessings because Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Walked among men. Gave his life as a ransom for all. Who would humbly submit their lives to him in obedience to the gospel. Living their lives out in faith. Trusting in God, obeying Him, and whatever the cost, they find themselves in the end hearing, well done, good faithful servant. Don't you want that for yourself? In just a moment, we're going to be singing the song softly and tenderly. Old hymn, beautiful hymn, I haven't sung it in a while. But I hope you think about these words this evening. Because if you've never obeyed the gospel, or maybe you have, but you find yourself realizing that you are not listening to the prophets of old, you're not listening to the gospel, and you are not right with God. Whatever it is, if you need to be baptized in water for the remission of your sins, that can be arranged. But if you need to sit down, you need to study with someone, or you need the prayers of the congregation, whatever it is, We want to help you this evening. So please, won't you come forward as we prepare to stand and sing 274.